Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Hello, I'm DeRondel Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Jill Hayden, president at the Medicaid Policy Network. Before we welcome Jill to the show, let me first welcome our host, the Sam and Sam Says, Samantha Oldsfry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm great, Durandal. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. You know, I always like to ask, you always have some interesting stuff, you and the family going on for the weekend. What's on tap? What, what are you looking forward to this weekend? You know, I feel like we've entered cozy season. And so I, you know, I'm just looking forward to curling up by the fire, you know, soft blanket, good cup of tea and a good book, like just relaxing this weekend. I like that. I like that. It's always a, always a good recipe for, uh, for, for getting through. So let's bring in our special guest. Again, we have Jill Hayden, president at the Medicaid Policy Network. Jill, welcome to Sam Says. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. Uh, before I turn it over to Samantha to dive into uh, some questions uh, about today's topic, I'd just like to ask, can you level set for our listeners just a little bit about you and, and your background? Sure. Yeah. So I have, um, I would say, over 20 years of experience in or around state government um, in Medicaid and public policy. I would say most of my career has been related to Medicaid. Um, I've had positions in the General Assembly, um, the governor's office. I've worked for a Medicaid uh, provider trade association and since 2013 have been in the um, Medicaid managed care space. Um, I'm currently a consultant with the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans and do a lot of work with other organizations and stakeholders um, in the Medicaid space as well today. So I'm very happy to be here. And we are so happy to have you, Jill. And I feel like you are so humble because at the end of the day, you are a Medicaid and human service policy expert. You've sort of seen the program from all sides and have just done a wonderful job at identifying um, the strengths of the Illinois Medicaid program, which there are many and the areas of opportunity where there are challenges. And sometimes those challenges aren't because of a lack of resources or a deficit in investment or care, but simply because, you know, there hasn't been somebody to sort of help piece it together. And I feel like that's what you do so well and why I'm so excited to talk to you about Pathways to Success and the NB consent decree, because this is definitely one of those programs, it's, it's going to be a new program that whose goal it is, is to really sort of piece together a disparate system that, you know, has failed our children in Illinois. And there's just so many questions about it. It's when it stood up, it's going to really change how we provide health care um, to our children, um, to complex children, specifically with high um, mental health needs. Um, but it's, it's really important. I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, as you pointed out, you know, most of my career has sort of been lessons learned, right? <laughs> um, there are so many great things about the Medicaid program in Illinois. 
Um, but there's so much more to, to do, so many opportunities out there to improve the way that we um, communicate with one another and implement programs. And like you said, I think the Pathways program is a good example of that. Um, you know, under Pathways, um, it start, if it's okay, I'd kind of like to go back and sort of talk about where we started um, to talk about how we got here. So basically, back in 2011, there was a court case um, called the NB Consent Decree. And that was basically a lawsuit that said children with a mental health diagnosis did not have access to um, services in the community under EPSDT, which is Early and Periodic Screening, Diagnostic and Treatment, which is a Medicaid-required service. Um, the court agreed, and then in 2014, I believe, they agreed that it would be a class action suit. And so the state's been working with st stakeholders ever since then to tr truly resolve this issue. Um, in 2019, the court and the stakeholders agreed on an implementation plan, and the state has been on that path ever since then. And so we've seen many iterations of this. As you know, the state's been working with the plans for several years now on putting together a plan that'll really provide services to these kids. Um, we went through a process of uh, integrated health homes, um, which at the time they, the state had intended to apply it to both adults and children. Um, and it was authorized under the Affordable Care Act. And we went through many, many conversations between the plans and the providers and the state on what this program was gonna look like. And then at some point um, they decided that they being HFS, the Department of Healthcare and Family Services, decided that they really needed to focus on these kids um, and you know, meet the requirements of the lawsuit. And so I believe it was last year at some time, the state decided that instead of using the integrated health homes as their Medicaid authority or federal authority to implement this program, they would do it through what's called a 1915I state plan amendment, which focuses on home and community-based services. And so they've, they have submitted a proposal to federal CMS um, for the 1915I. They're still waiting on approval, um, but it would really focus on these kids and give them an extra level of care coordination to really help them and their parents or their caregivers or guardians navigate the system and provide them with the resources and the services at the community level that they need to be successful. Um, so that's really the point of the program. Okay, so Jill, give us uh, a little bit more about that. I mean, that's a real, that's great at a high level, but give us a sense of, take us a, a next level down if you don't mind. So I would say that the program really focuses on um, this extra level of care coordination. Um, so whereas before we had talked about integrated health homes for these kids, now they're talking about organizations called care coordination service organizations. Um, and these providers would either be a community health center or a behavioral health clinic um, who would be responsible for doing that extra level of care coordination, either through a high fidelity wraparound or an intensive care coordination um, service that these kids would get. Um, and again, it would help them sort of navigate their, their lives, whether it be at home, at school, in the community and lean on resources and individuals and people within their own lives that can help them be successful and really give power back to the parents, back to the kids um, 
to you know execute this in a way that is meaningful to them and you know according to their own wishes um, and so the state has released what's called an RFQ a request for qualification for entities who are interested in becoming one of these CCSOs and um, they're going through that process now of filing those applications um, and then the state will grade them and make determinations on um, on you know who who ultimately is awarded one of those contracts um, those care coordination entities will then um, contract with the MCOs and they will work together specific to this population um, to ensure that you know that the services that these kids are getting ultimately uh, results in a, a you know success for them and their families and meets right. the requirements of the court case as well I should say. <laughs> Before I turn it back over to Sam you mentioned these resources that the youth can lean into can you describe what some of those resources are? Yeah, and one of them is putting a plan, a care plan together for themselves, um, like an integrated um, care team of individuals who are involved in this child's life um, through what's called a system of care. So whether it is the child's teacher or coach or um, a member of their church or, you know, other individuals, their providers um, that, that the child and their family want to be part of this team, you know, they would be part of helping this child be successful through the system and care and wrapping these services around them. In addition to that, the state is also authorizing new services under the Medicaid program to help the family be successful. Um, these include family peer support, respite for the, the family so that if they need a break, um, they can get one, um, therapeutic mentoring and some intensive home-based services as well. And the idea here is really um, to help the family avoid, you know, hospitalization, perhaps um, even relinquishment of their rights for the parents in some cases, so that the child doesn't end up in the DCFS system as, as we've seen, or, you know, living in the hospital for many, many days or months, you know, past medical necessity. So that's sort of the idea. If we can avoid hospitalizations altogether, great. Um, but if, you know, for some reason the child does go into crisis, then they would have the resources that they need coming back into the community as well. And that's so important, Jill, is that we're not only, as we think about pathways, I view it as, as two pieces. Um, and that is, first and foremost, we're, we're setting up new services, we're acknowledging the system wasn't doing enough, but then we're also setting up a system where folks are going to help these kids, these families, which is the most complex needs to navigate the system. Um, and, and that'll work both within the Medicaid managed care organizations, but then of course the providers, um, you know, that those families are working with, helping them navigate that pathway, if you will, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it really is a an innovative approach that the state really has not taken um, before. We don't have a 1915 I-State plan amendment here in Illinois. Um, today. So it will be a brand new program. And, you know, hopefully by, you know, sort of layering this extra layer of care coordination on top of the care coordination that they're receiving from their MCO today, you know, you're going to give that extra level of benefit to the kids, to the families, and then with those additional resources as well in terms of the services that we've never had here in the state before, um, you know, hopefully we can really make an impact on the lives of these kids and their families. Absolutely. And, and 
so, so far, we've talked about the need for this, how we got here um, with this Pathways program that's going to be implemented in 2022, who we want to serve, these really complex kids um, with uh, mental health concerns and their families. I mean, the respite service is so critical for stabilizing um, the family and the unit of which these kids live. Um, but I, I think it's important that as we think about this and think through this, we just acknowledge that that change is hard, um, that this isn't, you know, something sort of easy to stand up. This is a big shift. It's a big program. What should we be thinking about in terms of challenges and how we, you know, remove those barriers, overcome those challenges so that we can focus on what's most important? I would just caution that this is one population within a broader network um, of behavioral health services that are needed in this state. Um, you know, the MCOs are responsible for care coordination for all populations, and, you know, they're sort of, um, you know, bound by the network of providers who are eligible in the state to provide those services. Um, and I don't think it would shock anyone to say that we do have, you know, a workforce shortage and a shortage of behavioral health providers in the state. Um, you know, you get into the rural areas, it's, you know, it's even worse. So, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, you're adding this new service, um, these new provider types, these new responsibilities um, within a system that really needs to shore up itself already. <laughs> And then you add COVID on top of that in the workforce shortages um, compound the issue. Um, and so, you know, I think the state is doing a lot of um, work right now to, you know, work on some behavioral health, you know, education and workforce opportunities, but some of those are really long-term and we've got to think about some ideas to shore up um, those issues in, you know, the short term as well. Um, the other thing I would add and, and you know, Illinois is a complex state, and so you've got, you know, different authorities and different agencies. You've got the Division of Mental Health over at DHS, who, you know, certifies the community mental health centers, and then you've got HFS that regulates the Medicaid side, and the providers sort of, um, you know, go between both agencies. And there's a lot of activities help happening on the DMH side as well right now in terms of preparing for the 988 crisis line. That's a national requirement um, to get up and running next by next July. And so, you know, providers are preparing for that at the same time that they're pre preparing for these changes on the Medicaid side. And so, you know, I think we're just watching that too, because obviously that's going to impact the delivery and access of services overall, and um, obviously going to impact care coordination for the MCOs as well. If, you know, if there's not enough providers there to provide those services. So I think that's probably the biggest barrier at the moment is sort of watching, you know, the capacity issue. And, and that's something we're seeing, I mean, across healthcare. And yeah, it, it's not surprising we're seeing it in the behavioral health space. It's not surprising that with so many moving pieces, um, this is coming up. Um, to that end, though, what we do know is that behavioral health is so critical, not only for our members, but, you know, on the BH side, on mental health and behavioral health, but also on the physical health side. And that if we don't build that capacity, support these providers, connect them with the services that they need, 
we are going to exacerbate the needs and the and and the physical health side because so much of physical health is determined by mental health and behavioral health care unmet needs. Um, if you aren't controlling your uh, mental health needs, your behavioral health needs, then you're also likely not controlling your diabetes or your heart condition or, or whatever that may be. Um, and so it, it compounds and it puts more pressure on the system. So we have to get this right if we're going to be successful. And I'm glad that you've sort of laid out the the issues and the needs and 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 the challenges because I think it's so important. We we know where we want to go. We have to be realistic and identify our, our challenges. And then we have to sort of figure out how we're going to work together to overcome those. And to that end, you know, I know on the Medicaid managed care side, we're looking at in 2022, how do we work better with behavioral health providers? How do we look at the system and identify gaps that we've heard about from the provider community? And some of these are really big fixes, like adding more services. And some of them are, they spend a lot of time on administrative efforts because there is a difference between how we cover behavioral health care and Medicaid, um, substance use disorder, and, and then mental health care. And so there are certain rules that they have to follow if they're treating substance use disorder and certain rules they have to follow if they're treating mental health. And that's because they used to be very siloed, but more and more we're just acknowledging how these diseases present, that they often are co-occurring. And these providers have realized you know, I, I've got to address mental health if I'm also addressing substance use disorder and vice versa. So they're expanding their practices. And so the, the silos of government no longer work in the system that we are trying to build. And I think that's sort of what you highlighted, you know, sort of your last point of making sure that these groups um, within state government are all moving in the same direction as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that really goes back to what the whole point of care coordination was to begin with, right? The idea um, of, you know, care coordination, giving um, individuals an opportunity to have someone sort of looking out holistically for them, right? Um, and integrating that behavioral health, physical health, and all of those other um, services that Medicaid has to offer, but doing it in a way that makes sense for the individual and for their families. And that really is the point of care coordination. And I think over the years, we, you know, we're, we're getting better at doing that, right? Like people are getting a better understanding of what care coordination means, what the MCOs were brought into the state of Illinois to do. Um, and providers are getting a better sense of sort of this global approach to how they fit into this whole idea of care coordination, that it's, you know, that they're going to have to work with each other to, like you said, break down these silos to make sure that they're actually serving their patient, their member, the family, the child, whoever it may be, in, in the best way that they can. And that may mean having to work together and not just providing their service and sending them on their way. Um, that it really is sort of this wraparound approach um, to everyone. All right. Uh, Jill, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I think we're going to have to cut it there. But before we do, um, final takeaway, what, what's one thing that you want our listeners to know or, or to think about uh, this particular program? Yeah, I think as Sam said, it's just it's going to be challenging. I mean, everything is from an implementation um, perspective. You know, it's brand new, um, new services, a new provider type, 
And so, you know, we're just going to have to be patient. We're going to have to work together to make sure that we get this one right, because these kids are very important. And um, I think that this program could be really successful if we give it a chance. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's, uh, that's, that's something for all of us to, uh, to think about. And um, we appreciate you being here and uh, joining us on Sam Says. Hopefully you will come back and join us in the future, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you much. Sam, before we wrap, a great conversation between you and Jill. Anything that is uh, sticking with you or, or that you're going to be tracking uh, as, as we wrap up this episode? You know, I think it's a consistent theme through many conversations we've had. Jill and I, not on the podcast, but on the podcast and with other folks as well, is the need for coordination and collaboration in order to make the Medicaid program more successful and in order to achieve the goals of care coordination. That none of this happens in a silo, that we need to work together, fit the pieces um, of public policy together in a better way to better serve the over 3 million people on Medicaid. I think that that has just been a theme that we've seen over and over again in our podcast this year and something that, um, you know, just has stuck with me this year. Okay. All right. That's a great point. Uh, Special thanks to Jill Hayden for joining us on this episode of Sam Says. If you like what you've heard, I encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today. I also encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming a trusted partner with I'm Hip, again, I encourage you to visit the website at imhip.net to learn more. On behalf of Sam and the team at I'm Hip, I'm D. Rondel Beverly again with the Gemini Group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>